recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogenia Saturdays. Thank you for listening, and praise Yahweh, the God of true Israel. Last night's audio. Last night, about six or so minutes into the program, I noticed people in the chat saying that the audio was of a very poor quality. So I began recording on my stream, and, and I simulcast the stream. This is coming out of the um, that this is coming out of the front of Christogenia.org right now. If you if you use the appropriate player, the live stream player, and, and um, it's also in a private room on my TeamSpeak server, and that's how I, when I'm on the road, that's what I have to do right now to relay it through my live stream, and I could record there. So last night when I saw that the audio was a very poor quality, I began a recording, and that was about 6 minutes and 23 seconds into the program. So Matthew, who's operating the board tonight, Matthew had... um informed me this afternoon that last night's recording was extremely bad and extremely poor quality. So if you downloaded last night's recording from Christogenia, about half an hour ago, I replaced it. I replaced most of it with the recording that I created on my own. And um, the first six minutes and 23 seconds is still from the poor quality talk show recording but the balance of about two hours and five minutes is a much higher quality recording now because I, I, I um, employed that one and made a new audio. So I made a new podcast. So if you download last night's program from Chris Degenia, suffer through the first six and a half minutes, and, and then the audio will improve because it's not the talk show recording, it's my own recording. And tonight I'm also recording this in case we have the same quality problems that we had last night. Okay, this is from a Facebook friend in Indiana, and he asked me, and and he seems like an authentic and sincere um, fellow brother Christian, and, and he asked me if I would announce this. And there are some people I know that listen to me that do need to find employment and that have been looking for employment for some time and haven't been able to find gainful employment. And he wrote me today and he asked me um, to make this request and, and I'm gonna quote his message, right? I am in need of help. Brother, I have a ton of work and not enough workers. Now this is a true Christian identity believer. He is not going to hire any Mexicans, right? He says, do you think you could put the word out on your radio program? I will pay for a hotel stay for our brethren. I am working over 80 hours a week, and I have worked through Christmas. If I don't get the work, the wetbacks will. I just need more workers so I can get more contracts. I need vinyl siding installers. Can you help? Have them contact me. And, And here's his email address. Guardian of Christ at yahoo.com. That, that's just Guardian of Christ, all one word. And um, if anybody misses that and, and they want to shoot me an email, I'll forward you that email address. And, and you can shoot me an email from the contact page at christogenia.org. This man's more than willing to hire his fellow white men for. for um, his home improvement or construction business or whatever kind of business he has. 
and even pay their board. So, so that's a very generous offer, and we do have a lot of brethren that are unemployed or underemployed. Okay, tonight, Clifton and I decided, and, and this is actually at Aaron Schwartz's suggestion, Clifton and I decided to cover um, a paper Clifton wrote some time ago called The Problem with Genesis 4.1. And that, that's, um, I'm not going to give much of an introduction. I'm going to let Clifton do that, and, and um, I'm going to let Clifton take it from here. This essay is entitled, The Problem with Genesis 4.1. Many may reply, quote, I didn't know there was a question concerning that verse, unquote. Unless one understands that the Hebrew is badly corrupted on this passage, he will, like most everyone else who has ever read it, arrive at a mistaken conclusion. Before we start an evaluation to discover the ramifications, let's read it according to the KJV uh, quote, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord, unquote. Most people will respond upon reading this, quote, that's perfectly clear. Adam was the father of Cain, unquote. If that's also been the interpretation if, if that's also been your interpretation, I hate to rain on your parade. Unless one can uh, fathom the true significance of Genesis 4.1, much of the balance of scripture, scripture will remain a mystery. Well, well every testimony, and, and this is according to the scripture, right? Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every testimony requires a sound second, and even a third witness. If Adam had fathered Cain, there is no second witness to that in all of Scripture. Yet, there are other scriptural witnesses which refute it. Once we realize that Genesis 4.1 is a corrupted passage and that early commentators attempted to emend it for that reason, because they understood it was a corrupted passage, then we realize that the single witness to Cain's lineage is insufficient. And, and, and then we know that we have to look elsewhere for the truth. Clifton? To show you that the Hebrew at Genesis 4.1 is indeed corrupted, I will use the following two witnesses. The Interpreter's Bible, a 12-volume uh, collaborative work of 36 consulting editors plus 124 contributors, makes the following observation on this verse, volume 1, page 517. Quote, Cain seems to have been the ancestor of the Kenites. The meaning of the name is, quote, metal worker, unquote, or smith, unquote, here. However, it is 
represented as a derivation of the word meaning acquire, uh, as quote acquire, unquote, uh, get, unquote, one of the popular etymologies uh, frequent in Genesis, hence some others words, I have gotten a man, and there should be a pause here between two sentences, and it starts a new sentence, quote, from the Lord, unquote, KJV is a rendering uh, following the LXX, uh, the Septuagint, of course, and the Vulgate of uh, F Yahweh, which is literally, uh, quote, with Yahweh, and so unintelligible here, the help of uh, RSV, you know, the Revised Standard, is not in the Hebrew. The, uh, the Revised Standard has the help of, and, and it, of course, that's not in the Hebrew. It seems probably that F should be oath, so, quote, the mark of Yahweh, and that the words are a gloss, unquote. I have to interject real quick. I wouldn't even agree with that. I think that the verse is more corrupt than that, but they do realize there's a corruption, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, There's. Uh, they definitely see there's a problem there. Uh, they may have not um, analyzed it perfectly, but they do see a problem. Secondly, the interpreter's one volume. Now, we we got just got through with it the interpreter's Bible, the 12 volume, and this is a different uh, uh, book by a different person. Secondly, the interpreter's one-volume commentary on the Bible, edited by Charles M. Lehman, makes the following comment on this passage uh, on page 6. Quote, under, uh, under, you know, well, there's some ellipses there because I, I'm cutting out uh, the part of the sentence that's important. Quote, under circumstances which are obscure, verse 1b can scarcely be translated, still less understood. Uh, His younger brother was named Abel, which suggests the Hebrew word for uh, breath, unquote. Get a new page. What, what we see that um, what we see that Cain is the ancestor of the Kenites, which is the only way to explain the presence of Kenites after the flood, Genesis fifteen nineteen, and the connection of Pharisees and lawyers of the time of Christ to Cain, as Yahshua himself connected them at Luke chapter eleven verse 51, and and we will expound on that section of scripture a little further on. The meaning of the names Cain and Abel are significant. Cain came into the world through acquisition, the acquisition of deceit. The name Cain is a word that means lance or spear, but it is related to another word, Strong's number 7069, and that word means to get or to acquire. Abel relates to breath, as we see the the interpreter's one-volume commentary on the Bible here assert, because Abel bore that spirit which Yahweh had breathed into Adam. 
evidently the children were named appropriately. And even, even all those who dispute two seed line like to point out that the children in, in the Hebrew Bible, the children of men are named appropriately. And we see that throughout the Bible. We see it in Isaac's name. We see it in Abraham's name. We see it in Jacob's name. We see it over and over again in Scripture. Well, here also, the children of Adam, right from the beginning, were named appropriately because the garden of God was placed into Adam's charge. But the serpent sought to get or acquire that control through his subtlety. Yet Abel had the spirit, and Seth was a replacement for the murdered Abel. Now back to my paper. Um, therefore, if uh, Genesis 4.1 is unintelligible and can scarcely be translated, still less understood, unquote, how can uh, one prove anything by quoting it? Additionally, if the words are a gloss, where is the foundation for such a premise? It should then be quite obvious that we need to look somewhere else for the answer. Fortunately, we do have other resources, but there, uh, there are those who refuse to allow them in spite of the corrupted Hebrew. You know, I have disliked attempts to correct the translations of Genesis 4.1 for this very reason. We don't have an uncorrupted manuscript. Yet, You know, the Dead Sea Scrolls, as important as they would be to us if they had this manuscript, if they had this pericope, this verse of scripture, they do not have, according to all possible sources of information for the Dead Sea Scrolls, they don't have Genesis 4.1. That section of scripture with all of the, the, the versions of Genesis found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, Genesis 3.16 through 4.1 are missing in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And, and that's incredible that, that um, it seems that many of the important passages of scriptures where we love to see the version in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we, we simply don't have it. So I don't even like to translate or to attempt to translate Genesis 4.1 knowing that the Hebrew is corrupted. If indeed the Hebrew is corrupted, as it certainly seems to be, then how can it be translated? We can translate what we have, but we have to understand that it can't be a proper translation because the grammar is, is just simply ungrammatical, right? And, and here in your paper, you have shown early interpretations of this verse that show attempts to somehow correct its meaning. At, at the bottom of... Um, Watchman's teaching letter number 110, which contains my essay where, where Clifton had republished my essay, Sin in the First Epistle of John, he added a paragraph, and, and this, these are Clifton's comments, he added a paragraph to the end of my essay, which contained the following statement about the people who deny the evidence in the Targums, and I'm going to repeat that. Clifton said, they will make all kinds of disparaging remarks about the Aramaic Targums. But evidence for the Targums can be found at Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 7 through 8. And, and it's in Nehemiah chapter 8 that we first see the need for making translations and interpretations of Scripture. During their sojourn in Babylon, the Judahites had changed their language, and the Levites had to paraphrase the Scriptures from Hebrew into Aramaic. 
It is tantamount to condemning John Wycliffe for translating the scriptures from Latin into English when you, when you condemn the people who made the Targums attempting to translate the scriptures from Hebrew into Aramaic. Had it not been for Wycliffe, we might still be flattering in ignorance today. Shall we also discredit the portion of Daniel, which was written in the Syriac, or, or the Aramaic, which was the international language at the time? The Syriac paraphrase brought the Hebrew idiom down to the people. The Targums, and there are, there's at least a couple of quotes in Paul of Tarsus that do not match the Greek nor the Hebrew, but agree with the, the, the Aramaic Targums. And, and um, I know of one offhand what, where, it's, where Paul said that he ascended into heaven and, and gave gifts to men. And the way Paul quotes that verse, it matches the Aramaic Targums and neither of the, um, the, the extant major versions that we have today, the Masoretic text or, or the Septuagint. And now I'll, let it, now I'll get back to um, Clifton and his paper. At this point, I will quote a few passages which most of the NAC liners claim are, quote, Jewish, unquote, uh, sources, and according to them should be discredited along with uh, and including the Talmud. Inasmuch as the Torah and the Old Testament are the first volume of the Talmud, then by their perverted uh, line of reasoning, we would have to discard the entire Old Testament from our Bibles. How absurd. First, in the Aramaic Targum, uh, Aramaic was merely one of the language, languages which uh, Messiah and his disciples knew, called Pseudo-Jonathan. On Genesis uh, 3.6, which is unique in, in as much as it identifies the angel Samuel as the, quote, serpent, unquote. Quote, and the woman saw Samuel, the angel of death, and she was afraid and knew that the tree was good for food and that it was a remedy for the enlightenment of the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruits she took of its fruit and ate, and also gave it to her husband, and he ate. Again, they will also condemn uh, the Aramaic Targum Pseudo-Jonathan on Genesis 4.1. Quote, and Adam knew that his wife Eve had conceived from Samuel, the angel uh, of death in uh, um, parentheses, and she became pregnant and bore Cain, and he was like those on high and not like those below. And she said, quote, I have gotten a man from the angel of the Lord, unquote. This rendition of Genesis 4.1 is interesting for it speaks of the, quote, angel of death, unquote, plus quote, those like, uh, the, like those on high, unquote, and, quote, like those below, unquote. This seems to accord with John 8.23, where Yahshua told the Canaanite variety of Jews, um, 
quote, ye are from beneath and I am from above, ye are of this world and I am not of this world, unquote. Satan was on high until he, uh, until his fall when he fell like lightning, uh, Luke 10:18. The Palestinian Targum to Genesis 4:1 quote, and Adam knew his wife Eve, who had desired the angel, and she conceived and bare Cain, and she said, "I have acquired a man." the angel of the Lord, unquote. In another rabbinic work, uh, and it's a little uh, T-I-R-K-E, and then small d-e, Rabbi Elizer, uh, 21, that's probably a designation of words written, a quote, and she saw that his likeness was not of earthly beings, but of heavenly beings, and she prophesied and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord, unquote. It would appear from those references that the problem with Genesis 4.1 is an omission of some kind uh, of the words of the Hebrew text. I will now uh, quote Genesis Uh, 4.1 from the King James Version, and I will add the potentially needed words, uh, though I have no basis, but it's what I think it ought to be, in italics uh, from the Targum of Jonathan, so it will make some sense. And, And this is the way I would put it. Quote, And Adam knew his wife Eve, who was pregnant by Samuel, and she conceived and bare Cain, and he was like the heavenly beings and not like earthly beings. And she said, I have gotten uh, a man from the angel of the Lord, unquote. Well, you can you can uh, do whatever you want to with that rendition. Uh, uh, you, <laughs> maybe you can come up with something better. While one might not like the source of the Aramaic Targums, Still, uh, he must concede that this evidence brings the scriptures into context, and many Hebrew scholars recognize this. One such scholar is uh, Clark's Commentary, Volume 1, page uh, 58, and he suggests uh, a contextual problem with Genesis 4.1 as opposed to First uh, John 3:12, and uh, being aware that the meaning of the uh, Greek word "quote wicked" unquote in this instance means Satan, uh, says the following: "Quote, unless she had been under divine inspiration, she could not have called her son, even uh, supposing him to." be the promised seed, Jehovah, and that she was not under such an influence, her mistake sufficiently proves for Cain so far, and I put the remote in uh, brackets, from being the Messiah was of the wicked one, 1 John 12, 
First uh, John three twelve. Now, now that's um. I, I'm going to requote this. I'm going to repeat this Adam Clark quote because it's pretty um. It, it's pretty profound. Not not only did the interpreters comment to the editors of the interpreters commentary of the Bible, both its long and short versions, understand that Genesis four one is corrupt. Adam Clark doesn't seem to have that understanding, yet he recognizes a problem with the context of Genesis 4.1. And he recognizes that problem to the point where he believes that Eve made a mistake. So he, 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 he looks at Eve's words, takes, takes them at face value, and, and he says, Eve made a mistake. That's quite, that, that's quite incredible, but that's what the man that that's the conclusion the man came to. He says, unless she had been under divine inspiration, she could not have called her son, even supposing him to be the promised seed, Yahweh, and that she was not under such an influence. Her mistake sufficiently proves for Cain, so far remote from being the Messiah, was of the wicked one, 1 John 3.12. Clark insists, that Eve made a mistake understanding the conflict between the, the rest of the Bible and Genesis 4.1. However, Clark's conclusion is relying on the idea that the Hebrew text of Genesis 4.1 is correct as it stands. So, so we see that Adam Clark also saw a problem with this verse. Now, now to discuss the volume of the, the value of the Aramaic Targums, I have to say that not all of the Aramaic Targums are of equal merit. And there have, and I've read some of them, there are some silly interpretations of Scripture in some of the Targums. There, there are interpretations that explain the presence of Ag of Bashan and, 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 and by, by asserting that he hid on the roof of the ark during the flood because they thought, that they interpreted that the flood covered the whole world. Yet the Targums clearly reflect an early recognition of a problem with Genesis 4.1, and the interpreters attempted to rectify that when they, when, when they gave their interpretation of that passage. Now, it may also be that they simply had a different Hebrew manuscript than those which supply to us the Masoretic and the Septuagint texts. It may be that they had a fuller Hebrew manuscript. We don't know that, but we see that they saw a problem with Genesis 4.1, and they attempted to rectify that and to fill in the rest of the story. Whether they did that for right or for wrong really doesn't matter. Those, those witnesses may be dismissed by clowns like Ted Whelan as simply belonging to the Talmud, so they're evil. But on the other hand, other literature, such as the Protoevangelion of James and the Fourth Book of Maccabees and some of the Enoch literature, none of which are Talmudic in origin, none of which are Talmudic in nature, all agree with the Targums that Cain was not the son of Adam. <clears throat> Next, there's a, a, a subtitle, um, the, Genesis, the Genesis 3.15 and 4.1 uh, connection. Unless Genesis 4.1 is properly 
comprehended, one simply will uh, not be able to grasp Genesis uh, 3, 14, and 15. Uh, before delving into this second passage, let's take a look at it in the uh, KJV. Quote, And Yahweh said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly thou shalt go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unquote. The Wycliffe Bible Commentary has a better than average interpretation of Genesis 3, uh, 14 and 15. Quote, uh, 14, uh, cursed, A-R-U-R, our, or something like that, art thou. The Lord singled out the originator and investigator of the temptation for spatial condemnation and degradation. I'm sorry, Clifton, that's the instigator, the originator and instigator of the temptation. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Lord singled out the originator and instigator uh, of the uh, temptation for spatial condemn, uh, condemnation and degradation. From that moment, he must crawl in the dust and even feed on it. He would slither his way along in disgrace and hatred would be directed against him from all directions. Man would always regard him as a symbol of degradation uh, of the one who had uh, slandered God. C.F. Isaiah uh, 65, uh, verse 25. He, w- uh, he was to represent not merely the serpent race, but the power of the evil kingdom. As long as life continued, men would hate him and seek to destroy him. Uh, 15. I will put enmity. The word eba, E-B-A, denotes the blood feud that runs deepest in the heart of man. CF Numbers uh, 35, uh, 19, uh, and 20. Ezekiel 25. 15 through 17, and um, chapter 35, uh, verses 5 and 6. Thou shalt bruise, uh, S-H-U-P, uh, and I don't, I'm not shop or something like that. Um, the prophecy of a continuing struggle between the descendants of the woman and of the serpent to destroy each other. The verb sup is rare, CF uh, Job 9.17 and Psalm 139.11. It is the same in both uh, clauses. When translated uh, crush, it seems appropriate to the reference concerning the head of the serpent, but not quite so accurate in describing the attack of the circuit on 
man's heel. It is also rendered lie in wait for, aim at, or uh, in the uh, Septuagint, watch for. The Vulgate renders it uh, contrite, C-U-N-T-E-R-E-T, quote, bruise, unquote, in the first instance, and insidious, that's I-N-S-I-B-I-A-B-E-R-I-S, quote, lie in wait, unquote, and in the other cause. Thus we have in this famous passage called the uh, Protevangelum, uh, quote, first gospel, unquote, the announcement of a prolonged struggle, uh, perpetual antagonism, wounds on both sides, and eventual victory for the seed of the woman. God's promise uh, that the head of the serpent was to be crushed pointed towards the coming of the Messiah and and guaranteed victory. This assurance fell upon the ears of God's earliest creatures as a blessed hope for redemption, unquote. Now now it's, um, we see that the Wycliffe Bible commentary recognizes that a serpent race, which represents the power of the evil kingdom, that the serpent, represents a race and it represents the power of the evil kingdom and and you know the early the the early empires of adamic man the egyptian and the assyrian and and this is found in inscriptions and and it's well known of the egyptian but it's not so well known of the assyrian empire but their emblem was also the serpent as well as it was in egypt where the serpent represented the power of royalty in both of those empires. Now, I can't speak for the Sumerians, but I do have documentary evidence of that in Egypt and in Assyria. Now, now the, um, to qualify this quote from the Wycliffe Bible Commentary, I have to say that the Wycliffe Bible Commentary was not actually written by Wycliffe. Rather, it was written recently by a wide collection of American Protestant commentators under the auspices of the Moody Bible Institute. The version which Clifton quotes here was published in 1962. While some of this commentary is good, and and we see that they did rather well with this passage, some of this commentary is also pretty bad. It's universalist. It makes a lot of the errors that, that modern mainstream Protestants make, and and, um, I wouldn't really recommend it, except that like all those commentaries, you really have to to dig through a a coal mine to find a gem. But I have one other note. Oh, oh, Clifton, no, this is, you might want to comment on this this also. Oh, on the... um... Uh, on Wycliffe? Yeah, yeah, we were discussing this this afternoon, and I, and, and um, you had a comment to make over this. Some scholars understood elements of two seed line, but they failed to follow it through uh, the scripture connecting the dots uh, to the 
serpents of today. Well, well right. Some of these, they recognize the serpent race. They recognize that the serpent race would always have enmity with the seed of the woman, but with the descendants of the woman, but they don't follow that through the Bible. They don't examine that, and, and, and you can follow the descendants of Cain through the Bible and, and see that these people are consistently, once you see that the Canaanites and the Kenites mixed, and the Edomites and the Canaanites mixed, and that this serpent seed carried down through all these people, and these people were always at enmity with the, the Adamic race, and especially with the children of Israel, as they are today, because the Jews are dis- and, and most of the Arabs and, and, and some of the other people of the Mediterranean are descended from these people. And that's, you know, it's to their credit, they recognize this serpent race and this constant enmity. It's to their discredit, because if I made this recognition, I would want to know which side of the line I fell on, wouldn't you? Um, further, Wycliffe adds, quote, uh, he would uh, slither his way along in disgrace and, oh, uh, Notice, uh, I'm starting over here, I started the wrong place. Uh, Notice, Wycliffe on verse 14, where he uh, comments, quote, from this moment, from that moment, he must crawl in the dust and even feed on it, unquote. This became a literal fulfillment in history when the Jews rummaged through the city dumps throughout Europe to find anything that could be uh, repaired or peddled again to others. Not only that, but they are famous for their involvement in junkyards and landfills. Literally, they have made a business uh, uh, living off the refuge, filthiness, and immorality of the world. Further, Wycliffe adds, quote, he would slither his way along in disgrace, and hatred would be directed against him from all directions. Man would always regard him as a symbol of degradation of of the one who had slandered God. He was to represent not merely the serpent race, but the power of the evil kingdom. Emphasis mind. Of course, you can't, you can't, if you're not reading this, you can't see that I um, capitalized serpent race. Indeed, this is a very explanatory portrayal of the descendants of Cain. Also notice Wycliffe's uh, comment in verse 15, quote, it is also uh, rendered lie in wait for, aim at, or uh, the Septuagint watch for. This is interesting, for when Yahweh spoke to Cain uh, in Genesis 4, uh, verses 6 and 7, he said to him, quote, And Yahweh said unto Cain, uh, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou uh, doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, Sin lieth at the door. The words, quote, sin, unquote, lieth, quote, lieth, unquote, 
And uh, Dor, unquote, describes Cain's uh, natural genetic uh, demeanor and has no, has not have nothing to do with a personal decision, as many as so many claim. For instance, the meaning of the uh, word quote lieth unquote is described by Strong's as follows quote lieth number seven two five seven rabbits are uh, uh, I almost attempt to uh, pronounce uh, uh, Strong's pronunciation a private root to crouch on all four legs folded like a recumbent animal by implication to recline, repose, brood, lurk in bed, crouch down, fall down, make to fold, lay, cause to make to lie down, Make to rest, sit. Well, well, that's only the way the King James, the various ways the King James version had um had had, defined, had, had translated the word. But robots means to recline, to repose, to brood, to lurk, or to embed, uh, meaning to to go to bed. Then you have the uh, uh, colon and a dash, and everything after that is uh, the way the King James. Uh, translate it, and sometimes the King James has it right, and sometimes they don't. Inasmuch as Genesis 3.15 speaks of a war between the seed uh, descendants of the woman and the seed descendants of the serpent, this portrayal of the, quote, seed of the serpent, unquote, is very fitting and is manifest in the children of Cain, or the Canaanite variety of, quote, Jews, unquote. Notice how Wycliffe depicts this two-seed line war, quote, the announcement of a prolonged struggle of perpetual antagonism, wounds on both sides, and eventual victory for the seed of the woman, unquote. That war has been going on now for about 7,500 years. The major agenda of the serpent, that's quote serpent, unquote, the descendants of Cain is to totally destroy the seed of the woman. Uh, Anyone who doesn't understand the protoevangelon simply hasn't the slightest idea what uh, uh, what is going on in our world today. You know, it's perplexing to me how anyone could be told these things and, and see the persistent treachery of the Jews in all of their generations throughout history, yet still deny two sea lines, yet still deny that these Jews had their origin in, in rebellion from God and, and contra- Paul calls them contrary to all man, that their origin is contrary to all God. It, it's contrary to all the will of Yahweh. It is more amazing that the Wycliffe commentators could understand the existence of the serpent race and not want to trace that race throughout the Bible and history. And, and um, it, it's it, it's um, it, it's pretty simple. It breaks down pretty simply because it's easy to trace 
the descendants of Cain, and, and as we'll see here in the New Testament, it's easy to connect Cain to the serpent. With this enlightenment on uh, Genesis 4.1, everything else falls into uh, its proper place, and all the supporting scriptures for 2C line doctrine uh, fit together very nicely. There can be little uh, reasonable doubt as to the correct meaning of all the interlocking passages to Genesis 3.15. The Protovangelon uh, 10, 1 through 7, now squares with the Bible when it says, uh, uh, and Mary's Joseph speaking, uh, the lost books of the Bible and the forgotten books of Eden. And when, quote, and when her six months was come when our sixth month was come, Joseph returned from his building houses abroad, which was his trade, and entering into the house found the virgin grown big. Then smiting upon his face, he said, With what face can I look upon the Lord my God, or what shall I say concerning this young woman? For I received her a virgin out of the temple of the Lord my God and have not preserved her such. Who has thus deceived me? Who has committed this evil in my house and seducing the virgin from me hath defiled her? Is not the history of Adam exactly accomplished in me? For in the very instance of his glory, the serpent came and found Eve alone and seduced her. Just after the same manner, it has happened to me. There's no doubt, there's no doubt to me anyway, that the Protoevangelion of James is and should be considered an apocryphal work and that it is not canonical. However, neither is it a Talmudic creation. It is also, and, and it can be established that it is also at least 1,800 years old, probably 1,900 years old. It is apparently the work of some early Christian. Once again, while it is not canonical, it certainly does represent what at least some early Christians believe concerning the circumstances around the birth of Cain, and that Cain was not fathered by Adam, just like Mary was pregnant and she was not fathered by Joseph. That, that child was not fathered by Joseph. And, and that, that they're asserting, and, and I believe, that the model is the same. That, that um, while Eve was impregnated by the serpent and, and Adam was, what was um, accepting Eve, became the, the, the legal father of Cain, but not the natural father, Joseph was told by Yahweh to accept that pregnancy of Mary, and he therefore became the legal, but not the natural, father of Christ. And here we see that the um, early Christians believed that very thing, and at least some early Christians did. Cain was not, and, and, and there's um, many New Testament passages that tell us that Cain was not fathered by Adam, but rather that he was fathered by that old serpent, and, and we'll discuss them too. John 8.44 now becomes quite comprehensible. 
There can be little logical question then that Messiah was speaking of the scribes and Pharisees as being the literal genetic descendants of Satan through Cain. The Smith and Goodspeed translation renders John 44 like this, quote, The devil is the father you are sprung from, and you want to carry out your father's wishes. He was a murderer from the first, and he has nothing to do with the truth for there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks in his true character, for he is a liar uh, and, and the father of them. And, and I would, you know, I call it uh, uh, um, a genital, their, their uh, genital, uh, uh, congenital, congenital, their congenital liars. And that's how they proved to be all through history, isn't it? I'd like to discuss, I'd like to present the wider um, view of John chapter 8, and I'd like to pick it up from John 8.30, and, and um, there it says, and, and it's speaking of Christ, upon his saying these things, many believed in him. And, and we see that the gospel was supposed to be the dividing point between the, the tares and the wheat. And the wheat was my sheep, hear my voice. And, and the tares, you, you, you do not, you know, you do not hear me because you are not my sheep. The tares were never supposed to understand the gospel. Upon his saying these things, many believed in him. Therefore, Yahshua said to those Judeans who believed in him, if you abide in my word, truly you are my students, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Now, he's speaking to the wide group here. He's not just speaking. He's speaking to the believers, but everybody in the group is hearing him. And, and, and it goes on to say, they replied to him, we are the offspring of Abraham, and to no one have we been in bondage ever yet. How do you say that we shall be made free? From the tone of the question, we know that it's not the believers who are asking it. It's not those who believed him who were asking this question. It's those who, who didn't believe him. Yahshua replied to them, truly, truly, I say to you that he causing wrongdoing or he causing sin is a servant of sin. Now, a servant does not abide in the house forever. A son abides forever. He's separating the, the, the husbandmen who were given control of Judea in Yahweh's permissive will from the children right there. A son abides forever. These servants, these husbandmen, given control of the kingdom by Yahweh's permissive will, they're not going to abide forever. Therefore, if the son shall set you free, you shall certainly be free. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Well, you know, the Edomites are, in part, offspring of Abraham. A lot of people in Christian identity have attempted to add words to that passage. And, and um, I, I think it was Dan Gaiman that claimed that it says, I know that you say you are offspring of Abraham, but there's no ancient Greek text that says that. Christ is recognizing they are offspring of Abraham, and so did Paul. But Paul tells us in, in Romans chapter 9 and in Galatians chapter 3, that they are offspring of Esau. And Esau was a son of Abraham. 
but his children were all bastards, uh, okay? So he, that they are children of Abraham, but that's through Esau and not through Jacob. And, and Christ says, I know that you were offspring of Abraham, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. For the things which I have seen from the Father I speak, so also you the things which you have heard from your Father you do. If they're bastards, Yahweh our God is not going to claim them as his children. The, the devil, those original fallen angels who rebelled against Yahweh, they are the authors of rebellion. They are the authors of bastards. Cain, the serpent, these Edomites can be traced back to Cain, and, and, and his father was the devil, as John 8:44 explicitly states. His father seduced Eve, and, and his father was in rebellion against Yahweh, and, and that's where we have the seed of the serpent. They replied and said to him, our father is Abraham. Yahshua says to them, if you are children of Abraham, you would have done the works of Abraham. Well, they were descended from Abraham, but only in part. So they were not true children of Abraham. Christ says, but now you seek to kill me, a man whom has spoken to you, a man whom has spoken to you the truth, which I have heard from God. This Abraham is not done. You do the works of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, Yahweh. Yahshua said to them, if Yahweh was your father, you would have loved me. For I have come from of Yahweh and am here. I have come not by myself, but he has sent me. For what reason do you not perceive my speech? Because you are not able to hear my word. That question right there, for what reason do you not perceive my speech, is rhetorical. Of course, Christ knows why they didn't perceive his speech. As he says in John 10, 26, they didn't believe him because they were not his sheep. They weren't his sheep in the first place. For what reason do you not perceive my speech? Because you are not able to hear my word. You are the sons of a father, the devil, or the false accuser. And you wish to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and did not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Now, now the only murderer from the beginning is Cain. And if Cain's father was a devil, then Cain, too, is a devil. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own devices because he is a liar and the father of it. Now, I, now, because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Who from among you censures me concerning wrongdoing? If I speak truth, for what reason do you not believe me? He who is from of Yahweh hears the words of Yahweh. My sheep hear my voice. For this reason, you do not hear because you are not from of Yahweh. They are not from of God. They are not of the same origination that the children of Adam are from, period. Christ is making very explicit accusations here, which must be true, or he is a liar. Yeah, it should be pointed out that... Uh... Christ is accusing them of the murder of Abel. And if that's not, not literally true, then Christ was bearing false witness. Absolutely. And, and he, he was telling them that their father was not God and, and that they weren't legitimate children of Abraham and that their father was the devil. And if that's not true, he's bearing false witness. 
This leaves little uh, reasonable doubt that when Messiah identified the scribes and Pharisees as being guilty of the blood of Abel to Zacharias, then they could be none other than the literal lineage of Cain, Luke 11, 49 through 51. Well, well, yeah, this is a good verse to expound on. Uh, I'd like to, I'd like to quote from Luke eleven forty five, what where Christ is discoursing with these same Pharisees and these same lawyers. And I quote: Then one of, then replying, one of the lawyers said to him, "Teacher, saying these things, you also insult us." That that sounds like a Jew to me. So he said, and to you lawyers, woe because you load men with burdens hard to bear, and these burdens you touch not with one of your fingers. And, and we see that of lawyers today, right? I mean, that's, that, that's in their traits. Woe to you, because you build the monuments of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Therefore you are witnesses, and you consent to the works of your fathers, because they killed them. And you build. For this reason also the wisdom of Yahweh says, I shall send to them prophets and ambassadors, and some of them they shall kill and they shall persecute in order that the blood of all the prophets spilled from the foundation of the world should be required from this race, from the blood of Abel under the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house. Yeah, I say to you, it shall be required from this race. Woe to you lawyers, because you have taken the key of knowledge. You do not enter in yourselves and you prohibit those who are entering in. And, and I think Clifton might have a few comments about that, but I'd like to say that, you, you know, basically the, the prophets, the, the message of God and the prophets are, is, is to the children of Israel as a whole. And we see the mystery of iniquity spelled out among the children of Judah in the books of, in, in the prophecy of Jeremiah, where Jeremiah tells us that Yahweh planted a pleasant plant and it sprouted strange slips. And, and he also says that though thou wash thee with soap that you, you, and, and use much niter, that your iniquity is marked before me. Though they wash with soap, no matter how they scrub themselves, they can't wash off the sin because they were a pleasant plant and they race mixed. They mixed and they became strange slips. That's what Jeremiah chapter 2 is telling us. That's the mystery of iniquity in Judah. When Saul, when King Saul sought for men of Judah to slay the priests of Yahweh, none of them would lift a finger. But Doug the Edomite, this is 1 Samuel chapters 21 and 22, Doug the Edomite was more than willing to slay the priests of Yahweh for Saul. So we see that the, the, the real murderer in, in Israel in the days of Saul, Saul was responsible, but Doug the Edomite was more than happy to carry out his wishes. Now we see the next time that the priests of Yahweh are slain in Scripture is when Ahab marries Jezebel, and Jezebel has all the prophets and priests of Yahweh slain. It, it's a pattern in Scripture. The bad figs, the bad figs of Jeremiah are those race-mixed, people in Judah, and they are responsible for, for the blood of all the prophets 
from Abel to Zechariah all the way down through the time of Christ. So we see that, that it's the, the Canaanites, the Kenites, the Canaanites, and the Edomites amongst us, their race, because Christ isn't, isn't mentioning races. He's mentioning a race. And the only people that can be held responsible for the blood of Abel are the descendants of Cain. The children of Jacob didn't kill, didn't kill Abel. They could never be held responsible for the blood of Abel. There were only two men present, Abel and Cain. And that is it. And, and only the descendants of Cain could be held responsible for the blood of Abel. Otherwise, Christ is again making a false accusation. He must be speaking to those Kenite, Canaanite, and Edomite infiltrators and race-mixed people of Judah and holding them responsible for the deaths of all the prophets. The um, King James Version didn't do us any favor when they translated, uh, I think it was ethnos there, uh, as generations, because that would imply that... uh, that uh, all these things could happen within maybe 40 years or uh, or a short time. But when it says race, that means for all time, that particular race of people. Uh, so the, a lot of people look at that and they say, well, one, one generation is so long. Well, that isn't what the Bible's talking about. It's well, talking about a race of people. Well, well, right. It's very easy to debunk that because it's talking about Gener- a generation. It's talking about fathers and sons all the way back to the slaying of the prophets, all the way back to, to Abel. So, so it has to be talking about a race. The word has to be translated race because all of those prophets all the way back to Abel did not exist in the time that these people live, lived and walked on the earth. Well, it seems like if they were going to use the term genera- generation, they should have made it plural and included all the generations, uh, you know, from that time to the time of Christ. And well, well, if you look at the word generation in 1611, it had to mean something different. The word generation had to mean what we see as race today. When you put a seed in the ground, it generates a plant. Yeah. And more seeds come from that plant. And it's kind after kind. The seeds that are harvested are the same as the seed put in the ground. And that must be how the King James translators understood the word generation. Today, the Jews control our language through the Jewish media and the Jewish television. And they use that word generation to mean only a group of people living at the same time, no matter what race that they're from. That's not the original meaning of the word. And the Jewish dictionaries. The, the generator of every race is in a man's loins. Yeah, but there's a lot of people that favor what the King James says in, uh, over race. Well, well, right, but they're understanding a word written in 1611 in today's terms, in today's twisted terms. But the original Greek word genos means race. And, and that's when you're talking about fathers and sons, both near and remote, it has to be interpreted as a race and not as a group of people living at the same time because they obviously didn't all live at the same time. They lived over, uh, over 5,000 years by the time of Christ. I, I, I wanted to say something about it because I wanted to impress on the listener's mind that 
this pass these passages have to do with race, uh, not uh, a particular short generation of people. Also, Josephus Wars, uh, um, Book Two, um, Section Eight, uh, Paragraph Two, becomes clear. Quote: For there are three philosophical sects among the Judeans. The followers of the first, whom are the Pharisees, of the second, the Sadducees, and the third sect, who uh, pretends to um, to a severe uh, discipline, are called Essenes. These last, in other words, the, the Essenes, are Judah by birth and seem to have a greater affection for one another than the other sects have. Well, well, they expressed that they were Judah by birth and they expressed brotherly love, the, the Essenes. It's very clear here in Josephus in Wars. From this, it would appear that of these three sects mentioned, only the Essenes could essentially claim to be pure-blooded Israelites of the tribe of Judah. Why didn't Josephus mention the Pharisees and Sadducees as Jews by birth? Now, there is an exception to a few people. Paul was a Pharisee. Uh, I think Nicodemus uh, was... Nicodemus was absolutely an Israelite. Yeah. And, and so was Joseph of Alexandria. So there, there were a few Israelites in the Pharisees Pharisee party, uh, the Pharisees were like a political party today, but the greater part of the Pharisees back then were not uh, uh, Israelites by birth. It is impossible that the Bible is correct when it uh, says that... Uh, well, well, you're asking a question here. Is it possible that the Bible yeah, is correct? Yeah, right. I knew I was getting off the bad start here. Is it possible the Bible is correct when it says at Revelation 2, 9 and 3, 9, and I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews, Judah, and are not, but are of the synagogue of uh, Satan. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are uh, Judah, uh, and are not, but do lie, unquote. Not only did Yahshua the Messiah accuse the scribe and Pharisee, I think I should be scribes and Pharisees, no, it's right, scribe and Pharisee Jews of lying about their lineage, but he also told them in plain, unadulterated language they were not of his sheepfold, John 10, uh, 26, and 27, quote, but ye believe not, because ye are not my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, unquote. Well, well we should also discuss 1 John 3.12, right? In, in 1 John 3.12, John says, and, and this is my translation, not as Cain, who was from of the wicked one, and slaughtered his brother, and with delight he slaughtered him, 
because his deeds were evil, but those of his brother righteous. And, and where it says, not as Cain, who was from of the wicked one, the Greek says, ukathos Cain, ektoponeru, Cain, and, and that signifies, that Greek, ektoponeru, means from of the wicked one. It's, it's a noun. It's used with, it, it's a, um, toponeru comes from poneros, which means evil, but when it's preceded with the definite article, it makes it a substantive. It makes it a noun. It points to a specific entity. The word ek shows that Cain's origin is from the wicked one as a noun. This signifies that Cain originated from a specific and evil entity. This is the same language that's found in all the genealogies in Matthew and in Luke. And this is the normal way in, in the normal way in Greek of saying that Cain descended from an individual known as the wicked one. That's the way John saw this. Cain is of the wicked one. You cannot establish in Scripture, it cannot be established that the serpent ever taught Cain anything, that the serpent ever coached Cain. It cannot be established in Scripture that Cain was following the serpent in any way. But what can be established in Scripture is that Cain's genealogy has nothing to do with Adam's genealogy. Adam is never mentioned as Cain's father. Genesis 4.1 is corrupt, and Cain is the seed of the serpent. Cain resulted, issued from the serpent in the seduction of Eve. Um, Dr. One of the main things, uh, sometimes we uh, can't come to a conclusion uh, from the um, fr from the letter, uh, like the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic and so on. Uh, but sometimes you have to rely on the context of the Bible. And, and in order to do that, you have to know the entire Bible pretty well you you got to be a pretty good bible student and and where uh there seems to be two places that disagree two different passages of scripture that disagree with each other there's a problem and and so you have to start uh, running down the context you got to find out what the context uh i guess a good example would be uh in the 5th chapter of genesis it says uh, this is a, this is the book of of Adam. Well, it isn't the book of the other races. It's the book of Adam. That's the context. The whole the whole Bible is is a book is all the books of the Bible put together into one book. The context is uh, it's a book of Adam, and anybody that's uh, mentioned other than that. It's secondary or, or uh, third place or fourth place. Well, well absolutely. And, and when something 
Well, like you said, when a passage disagrees with the context of Scripture, the passage has to be investigated. When that passage does not have two or three witnesses, then the passage has to be held up and investigated and investigated carefully. When, a, when, it's, when the assertions found in the passage do not have two or three witnesses, we do not make a doctrine out of it. When the assertions in a passage are, are contrary to the context of Scripture, and we see that there is a problem with the original Hebrew or Greek language of that passage, then we know that that passage is a problem, and we surely cannot use it to formulate our opinions and our doctrines from Scripture. We cannot. We have to lay that passage aside and look at all the other witnesses. And when we look at all the other witnesses, John 8, Luke 11, 1 John chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 12, which I just quoted, and the entire context of the rest of the Scripture, Genesis 3, 15, the, the, the fact that Cain's descendants are markedly separate from those of Adam. It's not because of Cain's sin that his descendants are markedly separate from those of Adam. If that were the case, there would be no genealogies in the Bible because some of the most wicked men in the Bible are the true Judahite kings of Judah and the ancestors of Christ himself. It can't be said that Cain was a sinner and for that reason he was excluded because there are many more men in Scripture who were never excluded who were explicitly included, who were incredible sinners, that there were many kings in Judah and Israel who, who were pure Israelites who, and who are included in genealogies who were incredible sinners. So it's not because of his sin that his genealogy, that his descendants are markedly set off from those of Adam. It's because of his origin, period. Well, that's the reason we have to understand Genesis 4.1. And Genesis 4.1 serves as a barrier for us to understand what the context of the Bible is. And, and the Bible is just loaded with two light doctrine. And, and once you understand uh, uh, there's, uh, uh, that Genesis uh, 4.1 uh, can barely be read, can barely be understood uh, and interpreted. Uh, uh, it, it doesn't add anything. It it uh, it stands in the way of of uh, learn, understanding uh, the the main theme of the Bible. Okay, this is William Fink with Clifton Emmerheiser. Next Friday, I will be back at home in New York. I will be discussing the Epistle of Jude in my ongoing exposition of, of, of Scripture. Praise Yahweh. Thank you for listening, and good night.